issue five of Short Box Summary. I am your host. My name is George. And this is a special episode. This is a, my first ever solo episode with just me. I will be going over the events that happen in New Avengers 1 through 6. That is a story called Breakout. An incredibly exciting time at Marvel. Nothing had ever really been done like this before. They rebooted the Avengers. Granted, they've rebooted the Avengers before, but never quite like this. Uh, so let's jump into it. Uh, issue 1 came out November 30th, 2004. And we are hot on the heels of the Avengers Disassembled crossover. That was, uh, I believe, the first episode we recorded a short box summary, me and my good friend Fabio. Don't feel like asking him to read every single issue uh, that Marvel put out from 2004 to about 2012, so I will be tackling this one and several others going forward solo. So uh, without further ado, screw it, let's just, let's just jump right into things. Uh, the issue opens up with Max Dillon meeting a mysterious figure shrouded in darkness, pitching him on a job that promises to be, quote, huge and, quote, bigger than anything he's tried. Dylan is worried, but assured them, hey, if I mess up, you don't have to pay me the other half, suggesting a respect to this unknown person who's been oddly respectful in turn about Dylan's expertise and process. Quote, our intelligence says that the Fantastic Four are out of this country and the X-Men are preoccupied. The Avengers called it quits. We believe the time is now. The X-Men had just uh, had the mansion blown up for like the 18 billionth time uh, at the end of Grant Morrison's tenure on New X-Men. And the Fantastic Four were in a Galactus story at the end of Mark Wade and Mike Waringo's run, and the Avengers uh, got blown to hell at the end of Avengers Disassembled. After Dylan asks, costume or no costume, and in a surprisingly sexually charged moment, Dylan throws on the traditional Electro mask over his face and reminds you this is a comic book about superheroes and supervillains. Afterwards, it cuts to a shot of a helicopter landing on Rikers Island, a maximum security prison in the Marvel Universe called The Raft. Uh, we see Jessica Drew, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., meet Matt Murdock, Luke Cage, and Matt's associate Foggy Nelson. They progress through the prison, and Jessica starts rattling off some of the prisoners that make up the eight levels of The Raft, including Bushwhacker, Carnage, Crossbones, Jigsaw, Tiger Shark, Vermin, Scarecrow, Mr. Hyde, Purple Man, The Wrecking Crew, and the UFOs. Uh, you know some of those characters if you are caught up on the MCU. I've been reading comics for a long time. I don't know who the hell Scarecrow is. I don't really know who Mr. Hyde is. Like, I've seen him in comics, but I don't know what his deal is. A whole bunch of characters, uh, ranging from little street-level nobodies to some heavy hitters. Foggy foreshadows the idea that it's dumb to keep all of these prisoners in the same place, and then the lawyer remembers what a prison is. Jess explains how no one moves through the prison without a super-powered S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and then laments that Matt Murdock's secret identity, Daredevil, was outed by the press, and Matt assured her that it isn't true. That was happening in the Daredevil book by the same author. That story's awesome, and we'll get to it on the show eventually, since it's pretty self-contained. Jess further explains all the precautions taken by the prison to ensure that the prisoners aren't a danger when Luke suggests taking them out back and shooting them in the head, which, you know, human rights violation, but whatever. Foggy is still freaking out when Jess breaks it down for him. Mr. Nelson, seriously, she says, even if all the billions of dollars of technology all of a sudden malfunctioned, if all 67 highly trained shield agents, armed agents, fortifying the premises disappeared, you still have not one, but three big time superheroes standing right next to you. And just as she finishes the thought, the power cuts out because comedy is all about timing. 
were shown a blackout in Manhattan and a giant surge of electricity exploding off the side of the island. We cut to Mary Jane Watson trying to convince her husband Peter Parker to watch a Hugh Grant movie when the power goes out and before MJ can finish suggesting that Peter needs to go help where a giant surge of electricity is exploding, he is already out the window in the rain. Super cool timing. Just a really, really well-paced scene. Uh, with no idea how to get there, he latches onto a helicopter that just barely manages to crash into the island, and he's helped up by Captain America. Electro is inside Rikers, releasing all the prisoners, and reminds them that they owe him, you know, like a cool dude does after doing people a favor, reminding them that, uh, yeah, next time you see me, you better grab me a club sandwich or something. At the bottom of the prison... Matt and company finally find who they've been looking for, and it is a man named Bob Reynolds, a long-haired, bearded, dirty dude in raggedy yellow clothing and a torn cape. And according to Reed Richards, the smartest man on the planet, Bob is a hero named The Century, and he just might be the most powerful man on the planet. Why is he in prison, though? He killed his wife. And that is the end of issue one. Issue 2 starts with Cap trying to order Spider-Man to wait for more S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to show up, but then Spidey succinctly sums up his power, responsibility, character drive, slash flaw, and rushes in to see dozens of criminals staring him right in the face. Count Nefaria is the first one to get a hit in, and he throws Spidey down to the mob below, and he just gets his ass kicked. He cracks jokes because that's what he does, but he is getting annihilated by these guys. As Matt and company are trying to figure out what to do next, Carnage emerges from the shadows and grabs Foggy. Matt manages to free him and throws him in the Sentry's prison cell to keep him safe. Everyone is getting their ass kicked, and just when it seems like it can't get any worse, it does when Mr. Hyde shows up. Outside, Spidey is getting destroyed by Fool Killer, the Crusader, and Cutthroat, and Cap manages to throw shield to get Spidey free, and inside, Foggy pleads with the Sentry to save his friends. Just as they're struggling with Mr. Hyde and Carnage, the sentry emerges from his cell, grabs Carnage, and flies up through the floors of the prison and into the upper atmosphere where he rips Carnage in half and just leaves the severed, uh, <laughs> severed symbiote floating in orbit. Just when everyone still trapped in the prison thinks the island is sinking, it's revealed that Hydra Man is trying to drown them. Jess grabs Foggy and flies him out of danger, and the rest of the heroes follow. Everyone up top is getting their ass kicked. Peter has a sling made out of web. He's lost his mask, and Cap gets thrown in the air, where he's luckily caught by Iron Man, who just arrived on the scene. He quips that maybe they shouldn't have disbanded the Avengers, and Cap quickly reminds him that they didn't disband the Avengers. He did. Purple Man, a dude with the power of mind control and forcing people to do what he suggests, comes across Luke Cage, a dude he has history with, and his partner, Jessica Jones, has history with, as seen on Netflix's Jessica Jones series. And he uses that power to suggest that Luke kills all of his friends and then himself. Uh, issue three, uh, this cover has the sentry on it, which is really funny because I'm 99% sure he doesn't appear in the book until issue seven after this. So I think people just wanted to draw a sentry and pique some interest, which it definitely did to 14-year-old me. Uh, it opens the morning after with Cap and Iron Man talking about the night before. It's revealed that while they kept 45 inmates at Rikers, 42 ended up escaping. 
Cap thinks something special happened and summarizes, summarizes the night in a way only he could by saying that Luke wasn't supposed to be there. Kilgrave tries to use his powers on Cage, but it didn't work. Cage beats the hell out of him, and Cap stops him from going any further. His point is that this breakout reminds him of how the Avengers formed in the first place, a complete happenstance of fate and circumstance. Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Iron Man, Cap, they all get a third of a page, and then Sentry gets a whole page spread looking like a beautiful homeless messiah in pajamas. Cap and Iron Man keep talking, and Steve's point is that with 42 supervillains on the loose, they have a purpose and a mission. He says, listen, there's a balance to this city, to the country, that we inadvertently, by ending the Avengers, we threw it out of whack. A team needs to be in place. Things like this, what happened last night, this is exactly why there needs to be an Avengers. If the old Avengers don't want to, if they can't, then let's try these new ones. Cap sounds like a basketball coach at halftime giving a killer speech. And to be honest, uh, it works. Years later, reading this, wow, 17 years after the fact. Yeah, still some good reading in them old books. Cap still got away with words. Uh, on top of making him sound old as fuck, though, uh, Cap is just convincing as fuck. And he strikes a chord with Tony who laments that he can't afford to start at the Avengers again. Cap assures him they'll do it without salaries, without tech, no politics, no UN, no governments, just them. And this is a huge departure from the globalist Avengers that started in the 90s and continued up through Avengers Disassembled. And being sort of on their own is a theme that will keep being explored throughout this uh, Avengers book. Cap goes to the school that Peter teaches at and recruits him, which is so perfectly Peter to work for the Avengers during the only time there's no salary. Cap then goes to a very pregnant Jessica Jones and Luke Cage's apartment and recruits Luke, uh, who does it just so his daughter can have a father who was an Avenger. Nice moment there. He says the only way he'll join, though, is if he gets a say in how things are done for such a prominent team, and Cap agrees. Uh, he tries to recruit Daredevil, but because of all the stuff going on in his personal life, he's shot down. And in an incredibly cool 25-panel talking head exchange, uh, Cap recruits Spider-Woman, who's just been pulled off active shield duty due to perceived negligence on Rikers. And Cap hopes to use her former agent status as a liaison with the Bureau. Now that the team is assembled, Cap comes back to Stark Tower in the heart of Manhattan and sees Jarvis for the first time in Avengers Disassembled. Jarvis is like an AI who eventually becomes Vision in the MCU, but in the original comics, Jarvis is actually just like an old butler dude, uh, kind of stereotypical 60s sort of holdover of having um, someone to attend to all your needs. And uh, is Tony Stark's butler, so then he just started working for the Avengers ostensibly. Tony gives a speech about how excited but apprehensive he is about the new Avenger team, but they can't celebrate just yet because Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, isn't there yet, and she was invited to the team. Turns out she's outside, and outside we see her talking to someone off-panel, this mysterious person, and she tells them since she almost died three different times during the RAF prison break, that if they want her to report on S.H.I.E.L.D. and Avengers, it's going to cost them extra. We have no idea if this is the same person that Electro was hired by, but we are starting to put things together in our heads. Issue four picks up with Jessica arriving to New Avengers Tower and the team introducing itself to Maria Hill, who is the acting head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, since Fury's Secret War, as discussed in the previous episode of Shortbox Summary. Please go back and listen to that for Fabio's and my thoughts on Secret War. She immediately shoots down the idea of a new team, saying that this is the kind of shit that got Fury canned, but Cap reminds her how awesome he is, 
and he has the complete authority to do this. So he was really just letting her know as more of a formality and was not asking for her permission. While Cap and Iron Man plead their case to Maria Hill, Jessica Drew walks down the stairs after changing into her old orange and yellow superhero costume, just looking good as hell. The team banters and then gets to the mission at hand, apprehending the 42 escaped supervillain convicts. Reviewing the footage from Riker, Spidey is embarrassed to recognize that the person responsible is Electro from his own rogues gallery. There's some great character moments happening here. Uh, Bendis gets a lot of flack for characterization through dialogue, but he does a great job here by making each Avenger sound smart and on the ball, but in a different way. So no two characters sound alike, but they are all just fast talking, not unlike an Aaron Sorkin script. Before long, they're in a Quinjet and they're off to Boston, which is the last known location of Electro. As Electro is trying to convince this waitress to come with him, his ex, the new Avengers show up and put a damper on the moment. Luke asks how Spidey used to tangle with an electric-powered dude, and he says he'd do his hands up on uh, web like boxing gloves, and Luke asks for it. He approaches a contained Electro who just faints immediately at the thought of Luke beating the shit out of him. Luke asks Spidey to take the webs off, and Spidey tells him they'll decay in a few hours. Spider-Woman goes back to the temporary holding cells for the people still on the raft and bribes the inmates there with what I think has to be a sponsored line. Uh, she brings Edmund apple crumb donuts and everyone caves. Carl Lycos, Carl Lycos, Carl Lycos. Everyone sells out the target of the breakout and it is Carl Lycos. Uh, Lycos. Sorry, I, you ever say a word so many times it just starts to sound weird? Um, Yeah. Uh, he's also known as Sauron, so going forward, I think I'll call him that, just to avoid any more tongue twisters. If you've seen the meme of Spider-Man saying, but with technology like that, you could cure cancer, and a weird pterosaur guy says back, but I don't want to cure cancer, I want to turn people into dinosaurs, that's Carl Lycos, that's, that's Sauron. He's a mutant who absorbs other powers, and when he does, he transforms into a dinosaur. That's pretty much all you need to know about him, to be honest. He had a couple episodes on the X-Men animated series back in the 90s. Super fun. The Avengers hop into a Quinjet and start flying towards the Savage Land, the known hangout for Sauron. The Savage Land is a little spot in Antarctica where it's still prehistoric. It's like um, it's like a reverse glacier where back back there it's like a perfect, uh, perfect climate um, that resembles uh, the time the dinosaurs lived in. And that's why there's plenty of dinosaurs and saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths and just all this weird shit uh, that is still somehow going strong down in that little pocket of perfection. On the way, they try to look up the shield file for Sauron, but it's locked from the inside. They try to reach the shield outpost there, but it's offline as well. Something's wrong, and this whole operation reeks of corruption and cover-up. They're going into the Savage Land, and some people had never been there, so Spuddy tries to prep people by telling them what to expect, and he has a funny line where he says none of it matters if they don't survive the crash. Iron Man tries to assure everyone it's going to be fine, but without missing a beat, Spuddy's uh, senses start tingling, and our heroes are landing in the in the land that time forgot. Uh, he admits that he was wrong. He's like, oh, I guess we didn't crash. And uh, literally the second they walk away from the Quinjet, it explodes. They're attacked by a T-Rex from out of the bushes, and three razor-sharp adamantium claws are popped right by Spider-Woman's throat. And that is the end of issue four. Issue five picks up without missing a beat. It opens with Tony being pissed about a Quinjet exploding when he's down financially, and he takes his fr frustration out on the attacking T-Rex. Not a war crime, but not great optics, attacking what's obviously an endangered species, but when you're rich, I guess you really can do anything. Spider-Woman pulls a reversal on Wolverine and stabs him in the throat with his own claws because she's badass as hell in this book, and it's awesome. 
everyone reconvenes, and after awkwardly praising Spider-Woman for dicing Wolverine with his own blades, uh, Wolvie explains that he's there because a villain from Secret War, the Scorcher, called the X-Men to warn them that he was approached for a job to bust Sauron out of the raft. Since there's no Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. is locked up, he called the mansion, and Wolverine went down to the Savage Land after the breakout to hunt Sauron down. And just like that, Wolverine uh, joins our heroes just in time for a big-ass fight with some of the locals who follow Sauron. They try to fight back, but all their powers go kaput at the same time, including Iron Man's armor. They wake up bound and naked, which is not a good time. Uh, and before long, Sauron shows up. They argue morality, nothing happens, and then Sauron tells them that while he was imprisoned, uh, he was wrongfully imprisoned and forced to do missions for the U.S. government for their Weapon X program. Sauron orders them to be killed despite protests from his chief science officer who wants to experiment on them. Tony voice activates his armor remotely 10 years before Alexa was a thing, and they manage to free themselves and regroup. And through dialogue, we learn that Tony's armor costs $7 billion. And out of curiosity, I decided to look up what else costs $7 billion. So here's a couple things for you. Uh, the Facebook outage from, I believe it was October 2021, that ended up costing Facebook about $1 billion every hour for roughly a total of $7 billion. California's efforts to halt the spread of COVID in April of 2020 cost the state about $7 billion. Hurricane Dorian in the year 2019 uh, took the Bahamas about $7 billion to rebuild. Estimates for ending world hunger range from $7 billion per year on the low end to $265 billion per year. Because of Sauron, Luke Cage figures out why S.H.I.E.L.D. locked the files, and Spider-Woman is incredulous that he believed the story, and Luke delivers a line that sums up A, his character, and B, the new mantra behind this Avengers team, when he says, I hold to a simple philosophy. Just assume everyone's a piece of crap and be pleasantly surprised if you find anyone who ain't. Everyone gets dressed, finally, and Cap gets to yell, Avengers Assemble. Wolverine gets close enough to trigger Sauron's transformation into the dinosaur guy, and just as he's giving his villain speech, he is domed by a sniper round from S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Yelena Belova, the other Black Widow as seen in the Black Widow MCU movie, and spoilers, but not spoilers because this is coming out weeks after, in the new Hawkeye series. It's nice to see her again. Uh, she promptly orders all the heroes executed, so there are no witnesses. Issue 6 opens with a standoff between the new Avengers, standing over Sauron's still very, very bleeding body, and Yelena Belova, a character that even some heroes aren't entirely sure they know. They know the Black Widow, and they're very confused about another Black Widow. It's complicated. Marvel editorial sometimes gets really messy, but what can you do? She orders her henchmen to take out all witnesses, and her men are like, I'm not going to be the dude who kills Captain America, and she ices that guy just on the spot. Uh, Iron Man picks up Cap and Luke, Spider-Man picks up Logan, Spidey swings, and they're all flying towards danger, and Cap makes sure Logan understands that no one is to die from this. There's a real fear in Yelena's eyes as the heroes rush towards her. Wolverine and his entire adamantium-framed body collides into her, and then he's knocked on his ass with Cap's shield. Iron Man powers up a magnet and sucks all their guns away, and Wolverine a little bit too. And seeing that they're fucked, the rogue shield agents run off into the jungle of the Savage Land, which seems like a really bad idea when you're unarmed. Lots of dinosaurs, lots of saber-toothed tigers. Also, they're probably not having a great day. Uh, Wolverine confronts Cap. He goes, hey, did you throw that shield of yours in my face on purpose? No killing, says Cap. Wolverine argues she tried to kill you. And Cap ends the conversation with, and that's what makes us better than them. Which is just such a fucking Captain America line. I love it. 
They start interrogating Yelena Belova and realize that S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't supposed to be in the Savage Land at all, so there are big problems. Jessica Drew, as a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, takes it super personally that the bureau she worked for is anything less than sterling, so she's interrogating Yelena super hard, and the only answer she gets is that Yelena is, quote, working for the same people you are. And since we remember Jessica talking to some shady figure at the end of issue three, uh, as readers, we don't know what to believe anymore. Up is down. Up is officially the new down. Out of nowhere, Sauron comes leaping back from the dead and breathes fire all over Yelena. She runs off screaming into the jungle, fucked as fucked can be. Iron Man, Spider-Woman, and Luke Cage manage to knock Sauron out and transform him from dinosaur back into weird, sexy, Eurotrash fuckboy Carl Lycos. Wolverine explains, since he can absorb mutant powers, he probably took his healing factor Takes the blame for uh, for everyone getting startled by the return of Sauron, uh, which officially makes that not a plot hole or uh, just some ridiculous, uh, you know, magic storytelling, which is nice. They start thinking about how to get out of there and decide to find however the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents got there, but Iron Man picks up some weird readings and they start heading towards the danger because that's what these people do. They catch up to the readings and it's pretty bad. There's a S.H.I.E.L.D. presence there that's enslaved local humans, uh, also called Mutates, um, just because it's a comic book. And uh, they're being forced to strip mine the Savage Land for Vibranium to make weapons that have been banned by the UN. Luke is pissed that our government is doing that, but Spider-Man points out an important distinction that, quote, S.H.I.E.L.D. is a world peacekeeping task force. It's for no country in every country, which makes exactly no one feel better about the situation at all. The New Avengers roll up and just obliterate these agents pretty handily, Iron Man again gets some strange reading and pops a protective dome around the new Avengers just in the nick of time before a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier rains complete fire on the ground below, murdering all rogue agents and enslaved locals alike. Cap confronts Hill on the deck of the helicarrier about the admittedly shitty thing she just did and said the rogue S.H.I.E.L.D. agents there uh, constituted an act of war and she worked within the scope of her authority. She says the matter was still under investigation, and Luke quips back, quote, Yeah, that investigation should work well with you having killed everyone involved. Spidey is shocked at Hill's incredulity. It's just like, you just killed those people, man. Like, he is clearly in a different world. He is probably the closest thing to a fish out of water. Luke is not as shocked at this world, which is interesting. Spidey is just like, I thought this life was going to be better than the life I was living where I was punching people named... Green Goblin. Uh, Luke isn't surprised at all. Uh, Jessica is taking this whole moment pretty harshly. Cap is just pissed as hell. Iron Man is just kind of staying quiet, keeping his cards close to his vest. Um, Maria Hill tries to make them feel better by saying the attack was charging up for an hour before it happened and they weren't supposed to be there. She told them to not get involved. Nobody believes her, uh, except Wolverine, who says he can smell that she's not lying but then immediately follows that up with, since she's S.H.I.E.L.D.'s top dog, maybe it's training. She thanks them for recovering Sauron and offers to give them a ride home. After she leaves, the new Avengers huddle up and Iron Man tells them that the files S.H.I.E.L.D. sent them on the escaped convicts have been tampered with, that 14 of those criminals were listed as legally dead. So on top of stockpiling weapons material, they were also stockpiling super-powered criminals. They talk about going to the press to get the word out there, but they don't even know who they're fighting yet, and they're afraid this will tip their hand and send these people that they're hunting underground. Cap gives everyone an offer to get off this new Avengers train before he leaves the station, since this isn't what anybody signed up for at all. Iron Man invites Wolverine to the team, but Cap is reluctant. 
Iron Man uses Cap's own words against him because he's a manipulative little shit, saying, Finding Wolverine in the Savage Land was fate, and putting together the original Avengers team needed one last element. And right when they found Cap in the ice, they knew exactly what that element was. Cap still doesn't want him because of his past, but Iron Man points out going forward, they can't afford to not have someone on the team willing to make the hard choices and kill if necessary. And Cap is just like, shit, I guess you're right. And so he goes from being, you know, Mr. Morals to like, yeah, shit's about to get real gray. I'd rather have him on our side than not. Uh, we cut to a hospital bed and uh, Yelena Belova is recovering from some gnarly, gnarly burns. And a person off screen is offering the chance for her to be rebuilt strong and get revenge on the new avengers she agrees and the issue ends officially concluding the very first arc of new avengers and it was a monumentally important moment for marvel in the 2000s this book would eventually take avengers from just a simple team book that existed in the marvel universe to franchise status with several other avengers books existing contemporaneously and several major events feeding into and out of this book. If you wanted a view of what was happening at the Marvel Universe at large, you had to be reading this book. It was the central nervous system for the entire publishing line. It was also insanely important because it was the first time uh, flagship characters like Wolverine and Spider-Man were made into official Avengers. It felt less like a traditional hero book and more like a dream team assembly of Marvel's most popular characters and add in forgotten heroes like Spider-Woman and Luke Cage. And there was a diversity present in the book, not just in terms of race and ethnicity and sex, but also in perspective. Like Luke Cage, yes, a black man, but he was also predominantly a small scope hero, doing his best to protect Harlem from real world problems like petty crimes and drugs. He wasn't a world defending dude being on the front line of uh, like a Skrull invasion, which is very much a possibility for an Avengers book. They are big characters with big, big stories. Um, he'd never punched out a dinosaur before this, probably, not really, you know, not in any consistent manner. And Spider-Woman, uh, she was like someone getting her life back on track after so many weird editorial decisions generally phased her out of relevance, and it was, it was just a really special book. Uh, not least of which because of David Finch's art. He's the same artist who drew the chaos story for Avengers Disassembled, but his lines here were a little softer, giving the characters a bit more depth in the emotional beats. The digital coloring from Frank Darbada is extremely nostalgic, but gave it a movie-like lighting, making this presentation extremely cinematic in a very new way. Uh, Danny Mickey's heavy black lines added incredible detail to Finch's pencils, and altogether, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, Narrative-wise, I think this is the first major appearance of Maria Hill as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. after Secret War, and it just reinforced this idea that Government wasn't something to be trusted. Uh, the old foundations, the old stalwarts that Marvel Universe relied on uh, were no longer there. Like, people had to adapt. Things had to change to push the Marvel Universe forward. And it felt truly different at the time. And it was just an incredibly exciting time to be reading the books. Uh, so there it is. New Avengers 1 through 6, a story called Breakout. And the real beginning of something incredibly special at Marvel. Please tune in next week to hear Austin Eller and Elijah Steele of the Frameskip Video Game Podcast join me and talk about Young Avengers, a book that I think is about to become pretty important to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. After that, up on the docket, we've got X-Men from 2000 coming up, uh, hopefully getting Marty and Aaron back for that as well, and probably some more single-issue spinoffs like this. I really want to cover the Daredevil run. But I don't think I'm going to do full issue summaries the way I've been doing um, some of the other books. I think instead I'm just going to do arc breakdowns uh, just to cover a lot of ground a little bit more quickly. 
But yeah, that concludes issue five of Shortbox Summary. Thank you so much for listening. If you got this far, that means you know how to listen to this podcast, which means you can explain to someone how to listen to this podcast. Please spread this as far as you can. Tell as many people you know if you like the show. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you nerds very soon.